Thank you for listening to another episode of More Than Isms Extra, hosted by Calvin Eaton, founding director of 540 West Main, Inc. 540 West Main is a nonprofit community organization located in the Susan B. Anthony neighborhood of Rochester, New York. Our mission is to curate and create online and community-based programming rooted in anti-racism and justice for all. You can learn more about our mission and our work by visiting our website, 540westmain.org. If you'd like to support our work further, you can also become a monthly sustaining member, which ensures that we continue to scale up our work in 2020 and beyond by visiting patreon.com slash 540WMAIN, where you can get more exclusive content like podcasts, blog posts, and also video and webinars dedicated to teaching you about how to be and practice anti-racism in your life. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. And I am back with another episode of More Than Isms podcast. This is my second in our 2020 Black Women in Rock series. I sit down with Ngozi Juliet Udo, who has a lifelong passion for racial, reproductive, and economic justice for women and girls. In 2019, Ngozi, who's a Brooklyn native, moved to Rochester after graduating with a degree in sociology from Queens College to pursue a career in public health. And for the last five years, Ngozi has worked as a Healthy Baby Network's health educator. Um, Her time here in Rochester has really been dedicated to improving maternal child health outcomes and also providing maternal, infant, and community health education with a focus on systemic racism, infant, and allyship to over 4,000 women and girls in Monroe County and over 600 nursing, public health, and medical students along the way. Thank you so much to Ngozi for sitting down with us. And without further ado, here is my interview with Ngozi Julia Udo, who is a Black woman who is rocking in Rochester. We're here. How are you? Hi, I'm well. Is it is it you, me, and another person? It's just me and you here. Oh, okay. I thought I heard. How are you? Welcome to More Than Isms podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm glad to be recording with you. Um, We we spoke a little bit earlier this week. Um, and I've I've also since shared it publicly um, on 540westmain.org, our website and blog. Um, <clears throat> but um, how are you? I just wanted to start. I am feeling somewhat closer to myself for the first time this week. Um, I've been um, dealing with a COVID-19 positive diagnosis. Um, I'm pretty sick since last Tuesday, and today is the first day I'm actually feeling somewhat close to my normal self. Wow, that's great! I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, so I'm 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 really happy to 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 have you on, um, Gozi. How are you feeling today? Before we just sort of jump into our conversation, I'm feeling good. I had a really yeah. good day. I mean, I started off this morning feeling really anxious so I um I live with anxiety and sometimes mm-hmm. you know um they're good days and then they're really bad days so mm-hmm. this morning I um I just felt really really anxious and yeah. um it was almost at a point where I just I like I 
I couldn't imagine like leaving my apartment for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, like I work in an environment that's really understanding and like pro self care and pro like mental health, um, you mm-hmm. know, support and things like that. So I was able to um, to work from home today. Um, Good. Yeah, you We're know, it's, it's just you know with what's going on um, in the country and with Black Lives Matter and just really internalizing all of these murders, um, it's just been really hard, you know, to continue to compartmentalize and function. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think this morning it was just, you know, there was one um, murder in particular that really, um, it just really hit close to home to me for a Mm -hmm. number of reasons. And so I've just been kind of um, in that. However, um, yeah. You know, since I was able to work from home and, and be productive in a, in, a, in a space that I felt safe and that I could be productive, I was able to um, just kind of work through that and mm-hmm. finish off the rest of my day feeling a lot more like myself. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's it's so important that you bring that up because I was just before we jumped on, um, I was just reading an article published this week, um, well, actually about a week ago in self magazine titled it's okay for black people to take a break right now yeah and um the article elucidated much of what you just shared just Mm -hmm. that it's it's okay to to do whatever you need to do whatever we need to do as black people to um if that if that means disengaging for a time or Uh or resting or working from home Uh um give yourself permission to do that. And yeah. I think it's so important to hear you sharing that you, that you have some strategies and you have a, a, a infrastructure mm-hmm. in which you do have, give yourself permission to say, you know what, I, I need to step away and I need to be home today. Absolutely. And I think that that's so important that we talk about this, right? Because it can feel really, it can, it can feel, there can be, a, there can be pressure, mm-hmm. um, especially as people like yourself who, who, who is engaged in a lot of um, community-based work to feel like you have to be on all the time. Right, right. Educating. I mean, you are someone who specifically works with pregnant women, pregnant women of color, pregnant black women mm-hmm. as a doula, and I can only imagine the, the, the pressure that might come with that feeling yeah. of, of being the person who is the emotional support mm-hmm. of, of another person in their life that they're carrying. So um, I think this is a great segue just to talk a little bit about um, just your, your, your career and your, yourself in general. Um, are you a Rochester native? Um, if not, where did you grow up? Where were you born? And really just some of this, the early part of your, your career, like what led you to the work that you're currently doing? Okay. So um, I appreciate that you, that you um, added to that first question of tell me about yourself with some other questions, because whenever I'm asked that, like, I just get, I just freeze up because I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, what should I say about myself? Okay. Yeah, so, where do you start? <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you for that. So I was born, I'm not a Rochester native. I was born in um, Savannah Lamar, Westmoreland, Jamaica. 
Um, really good, my, though. Yeah. Okay. So that's wonderful. My grandfather, mm-hmm. my grandfather was from Jamaica, Kingston. Hey, cool. All right. Yeah, I knew I felt a vibe with you. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, yeah, so I grew up in Jamaica. Um, my mom um, left when I was, I think, when I was a year and a half to mm-hmm. come to America so that she could uh, build a foundation for, for myself and for her. And um, she left me in the care of my godparents, um, uh, Juliet, Juliet Pringle and um, Desmond Pringle, and then my god sister, Sharomi Pringle, and her sister, Nikki Pringle. And I, um, I mean, they're, they're married now, but I don't remember their married names. So I'm just gonna, I hope they forgive me if they listen to this. But the reason why I wanted to take time to, um, to say their names is because, you know, they really set the, set the foundation and the tone for me to be able to, you know, eventually move here with my mom and to be, uh, secure in myself and to have, the right um, sort of frame of mind and a strong sense of self to be able to um, just have the, have the, the, the kind of childhood that I did and the kind of mindset that I did, because, you know, when you're coming from a, a different country as an immigrant, especially as a child, you are caught between these two worlds, right? So your home life is, is still very much uh, familiar to where you're born, right? So my mom um, spoke Patwa and, you know, all of my family that were up here uh, spoke Patwa and we ate, you know, the same food and listened to the same music. But when I would go to school, you know, that was a completely different uh, environment. And so it's like, do I uh, continue to be myself or do I kind of assimilate to um, to this new culture? And um, and so just having the 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 family structure that I did in Jamaica it allowed me to navigate uh, those two worlds uh, a lot more easily. So um, once I came here with my mom, um, I just before you before you carry on, Mingozi, sure. um, sure. that sort of code switching that that we 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 call it or know it as, did you ever feel was that something that came really natural for you, or did you ever feel a sense of like anxiety from you know switching between you know? your your Jamaican family and Patois mm-hmm. and and your you know your American peers yeah. or was it something that you never really even actively thought about? Oh um it didn't last very long. So uh mm-hmm. the the only time I can think that it was really um uh evident to me that I had these sort of three different worlds that I was navigating was when I was in first grade and um that's around the time that I that I finally settled here with my mom so I still had my Jamaican accent and I remember like you know naturally of course I would I was adopting the um the the American accent um but whenever I would like get upset or get excited I would switch to Patois and I remember Mm -hmm. um one day in particular I did that and one of my classmates you know, started making fun of me. And Mm. that's when that was, I think that's the only time that I can remember where I felt like, oh, you know, the sum total of who I am is not uh, appropriate in every, in every place. And Mm -hmm. so um, I was encouraged by some family members, I won't say who, 
But, you know, I was encouraged by some family members and also by that experience to kind of sort of pick a side mm-hmm. uh, in a sense, like, you know, you know, speak properly. And I think a lot of uh, Caribbean and, uh, you know, especially like first generation um, um, immigrants can can relate to that sort of like speak proper English right. you know, sort of thing. So it was really painful for me to 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 realize that I had to leave that part of me because mm-hmm. I know especially as a Jamaican like your accent is really what is really what um that's really the glue right so I can understand the most the most you know the deepest of Jamaican accents the deepest of Patua like I can you know I can vibe mm-hmm. with anyone right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I know about the history I know about the food I can cook I can you know I know about the music but not having the, the, the language and being able to to fluently um, you know switch between it, it definitely it it's a loss to me um, but I still do code switch between um, my Jamaican culture and um, and also my culture growing up in Brooklyn so I feel like I have sort of three selves if you will so I have um, the professional me. <laughs> And then I have the the Brooklyn me, and then I have the Jamaican me, who mm-hmm. I mostly um, engage with with my cousins and things like that. So different kinds of jokes and and you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. So it, it it has been very easy for me to jump between now, but I just know that when I was younger, it was very painful to feel like I had to choose. Right. So when you when you're when you're when you settled here in the states you were in new york city in yes new york area. Yeah. yep i was in new york city I, I i lived there until i was uh 22 okay and then i moved um i moved here to rochester so i've no, been here for six years some point no what what brought you to so did you did you attend like so elementary or grammar school and college in the new york city area yes mm-hmm. all of okay. that so i went okay. to um, I went to elementary school um, just blocks from my house in Brooklyn. Then I went to middle school just just like a street over. And then I went to high school in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. That's by Coney Island, like the Coney Island um, amusement park, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then I attended Queens College um, in Flushing, mm-hmm. New York. So, mm-hmm. yep. And what brought you to Rochester and Goldie? So you, I, I, I'm assuming that you probably still consider yourself a new yorker oh yeah always always yeah. Yeah, always. We, you know it's just there is a a sense of i'll speak for myself but i think yeah. that a lot of us will agree i mean there's a sense of this sort of arrogance that i think is endearing because like we don't mean it it's just it's how we survive right so um i'm i'm always gonna be a new yorker i you know and there's you know the thing that made me not feel as alone in that was i remember when i first got when i got my first car right so growing up in brooklyn i never imagined that i would ever need to drive i didn't i didn't i didn't i never thought that i would move anywhere Mm -hmm. um, outside of new york city even though i really wanted to but i was like yeah you know so um, when I got my first car, I think I was 24, no, 25, um, nope, 26, <laughs> I don't know, 
But um, but I remember the woman at the at the Geico. She asked me for my number, and so I gave her my area code, which was the New York City area code. And she immediately was like, "Oh, you know, like I'm from New York City too." And she gave me her area code, and I was like, "Oh, okay. So when did you move here?" She was like, "20 years ago," and I was like, "Oh." But she was like, "I'm never gonna give up my area code because that's that's you know that's the last piece of of what I have to." to um to hold on to as a new yorker and i felt the same way so yeah yeah Yeah. and so what made what what was really the some of the driver of your decision to move to the rochester Mm -hmm. area yeah so there's a lot of different drivers i mean when i was in college i majored in sociology and um i i took I mean, so many different sociology classes, sociology of drugs, sociology of immigration, sociology of criminal justice. And Mm -hmm. in a lot of those classes, um, um, Rochester, New York, as well as Buffalo, um, kept sort of coming up in these different classes, right? So Mm -hmm. I, I I felt really intrigued by it. But, you know, the things that they were saying about Rochester, it wasn't about the people, it wasn't about the history or, you know, the culture. It was just all about data, and mm-hmm. it wasn't good, right? So right. I remember my, um, I'll just say a professor was talking about Rochester, and the, the way that I understood the picture that he painted was this was just this dangerous place, you know, just the worst place in New York City in terms of statistics. Mm-hmm. And I, I just remember thinking like, wow, I would never want to live there, you know, um, just a fleeting sort of thought. And then um, it just so happened that the relationship that I was in, um, she was from Rochester originally, but moved to New York City um, to pursue, you know, the New York City dream that everyone kind of comes mm-hmm. for acting and so on and so forth. So we met and fell in love and all of that. And I had the opportunity to visit because that this is where, you know, she was from um, or this is where she grew up. So. I was like, man, I really want to visit. So I visited with her um, and it was nothing like what I anticipated. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have like a clear sort of vision, but it was just these, the the data, you know, and the, and the way that this place was described, I didn't know what I was going to see, but I just fell in love with the fact that it still felt like a city to me in the sense that New York City does, but it was a lot less, uh, just a lot less congested, right? So as, mm-hmm. as, a, as a New Yorker, um, one of the things that, are, that is typical for us is that we, we kind of don't really move other, you know, we don't go other places. <laughs> we feel like, well, we have everything here. So, uh, you know, um, so I was kind of like that where I've never been to like another city in New York. I've never, you know, really spent a lot of time anywhere else. So when this place was described to me as a small town, I just imagined things that I saw on TV, like a little (laughs) village with Mm -hmm. one sheriff, you know, just really ignorant stuff. Um, But anyway, but I just, I just fell in love with the community. I fell in love with the art and I realized that this was a place that, everyone really had a strong sense of community and I'd never uh, seen that in the parts of Brooklyn that I grew up in. I'm not saying that 
mm-hmm. in, in Brooklyn, there aren't neighborhoods that are like that, but I was really blown away by that. And so um, I continued to visit. And uh, by the time that I was about to graduate, my relationship um, had gotten to the point where, you know, we were serious. And she also, again, just so happened to want to move back here. And so I had to make a decision, like, do I, do I move with her or do I, you know, kind of stay here? And the, the answer was, I'm really grateful that the answer was an easy one, right? So, mm-hmm. of course, you know, when you fall in love, when you feel like you, you have a relationship that's promising, especially when you're young, you know, you're going you're gonna to do whatever it takes to, to make sure that that continues. But because I had fell in love with the community and because I had um, enough time to continue to do my research, because my number one thing was I wanted to make sure that wherever I went after I graduated, it would be a place that I would be able to establish myself on my own and do meaningful work. Now, Mm -hmm. as cheesy as that sounds, you know, I promise you those two things were such a huge priority for me Mm -hmm. that if I felt like I couldn't do that here, then I wouldn't be here. Right. And when I, when I first moved here, I was a little bit um, reluctant to tell people that my relationship had a lot to do with me moving here because I felt like people would, kind of be like, oh, you know, young love, and, you know, not really consider Mm -hmm. that I had given this a lot of thought. Um, And I didn't quite know exactly what I wanted to do with my career, but I knew that I wanted to do meaningful work. I wanted to do something. I wanted to get up and go someplace where I felt like my, my, my skills and my talent and my ambition were not only being noticed, but really being put to use. And that you know, because this is a community-based um, city, I wanted to contribute to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in the Boys and Girls Club in Brooklyn. I was very active in the Boys and Girls Club. Um, this is not a brag. This is not a brag. But I was Youth of the Year for mm. 2017. So, or was it? Of course you no, were. No, no, excuse me, 2007. <laughs> 2007 I said 2017 oh lord um yeah so I so I you know and I did work there for some time so I had a a background in community work and I knew as a product of the Boys and Girls Club how important nonprofits could be to the lives of people who you know weren't given the same kind of start as other people and to have individuals that it's not for the money. It's not for any kind of clout, but you're really there because you're trying to help people and pour back into your community. That's what I grew up with. And so I just wanted to figure out a way to um, make a career out of that. And Rochester just seemed like the perfect place to, to do that. Um, and um, I think your last question was sort of like what led me into the work that I do. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. So um, when you you moved here and in in your relationship, but was your what did you fall into um, the current position that you you currently work with the Healthy Baby Network? Was have you been working with the Healthy Baby Network since you came to Rochester? Almost several years almost, ago. Almost. So yes. during my during my time at college. Um, I worked at Starbucks. And the great thing about Starbucks is that no matter where you move in the world, you can always transfer and find a job. So um, within the last six months of me um, finishing up my degree, 
I was applying to jobs here. I mean, literally at least 400 applications I submitted. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, like just, I was doing phone interviews. I was, you know, I was really doing a lot to, um, to ensure that I would, I would come here and, and have a job or at least, you know, have one in the next couple of weeks. Um, but what is typical for a lot of um, college students is that if you don't have a clear idea of exactly what you want to do and exactly how you're going to go about it, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities to pump up your resume and to get that experience and make those connections. And that's what happened with me. So I had a lot of talent. I had a lot of skill, um, education and passion, but my resume looked like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, mm-hmm. so and that's always tough. That's always yeah. tough, especially yeah. for professionals of color, right? That right. that proverbial, you don't have enough experience or the experience right. that we need. Right. But if and you're I not given that, the opportunity, yeah, how do you I get the experience? Verbatim from, from people, you know, because, you know, my thing was, and I, all, I also grew up with like really great mentors, right? So I was always encouraged. I was always, um, you know, I was always. I always knew that I was enough. I always knew that I had potential. I always knew that I was great because it was poured into me. So I knew that once I would get on that phone and have that interview that my resume, you know, it, they would be able to see that, you know, I have a lot to offer. However, I would get, you know, yeah, you, you sound great, but, you know, experience. So, you know, we're looking for someone who's more, you know, qualified to be there. So, um, I was just really determined and eager. I will admit that, you know, um, coming up on a year of, of continuing to work at Starbucks after I moved there, I was getting a little discouraged, but mm-hmm. I got a really great pep talk from someone and they said, listen, if you aren't able to, um, you know, get, you can't get experience, right? You, you, people aren't listening to you. Go and find someone and say, hey, I'm a new, freshly, you know, graduated student. I would like to offer my services in terms of volunteering, internship, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, even though people who, who know me and who have interacted with me would say, you know, I'm very like uh, outspoken and um, maybe just confident and all of that. And that's true, but um, I'm also really shy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I just remember um, there was a woman who uh, would come into Starbucks time and she would order one of two things so I would just other people who were regulars I would always have their their drinks ready so one woman um and I saw her on the news and I said okay she's on the news she's standing behind I believe it was the governor at the time and she looks really important I didn't know what they were talking about um because the, the tv was on mute but and I was doing something but I said okay when I see her the next time I see her at Starbucks, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say, listen, I don't know what you do, but I'd like to help. <laughs> so when I saw her, because um, I didn't, I didn't know, um, I didn't know how to get, like, you know, figure out who she was uh, prior. The next time I saw her, I had her drink ready um, and I kind of went, came from around the back and I said, hey, you know, my name is Ngozi. I just graduated um, you know, I'm looking to, for experience, saw you on the news, you look important, I'm great, can I intern wherever you work? 
Mm-hmm. Or tell me what you do. So she, so the woman that I'm talking about was um, Lauren Deutsch, who was our former executive director of Healthy Baby Network. Um, but at that time, we were perinatal network of Monroe County. So she was explaining to me, you know, what the agency did. And I just lit up because something that I failed to mention was ever since I was eight years old, I had an extreme fascination and interest with pregnancy and childbirth. Can you mm-hmm. believe that? Can you believe that at eight? I, like, I who, love who it. Says that? <laughs> That's weird, right? No, I love yeah. that. Yeah. I would, yeah. So there was a show that came on on the Learning Channel, TLC, called um, A Baby Story. And mm-hmm. that debuted uh, in 1998, I believe. And it was basically just like a reality show based show, but it featured um, parents who were like the uh, mom was like in her eighth month, you know, and they're just like getting ready for baby. And then she delivers and they document like maybe the first week or so. And I was just captivated by that whole thing. And so from eight up until, you know, 22, I guess, you know, I've always um, I continued to watch shows that talked about um, labor and delivery, shows like Labor and Delivery that was on Discovery Channel, Bringing Home Baby. And then when I got to be a bit older, I um, became a for these two, a set of two beautiful Black families. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to um, um, Isis Satgrant and the Grant family. Shout out to Bolan Lay and her beautiful husband and those beautiful kids like so I've always been around children and I've always been fascinated but I didn't think that that you know I didn't think that there was some kind of career out there for me mm-hmm. um you know because um I just didn't think that I was smart enough to be a labor and delivery nurse I didn't think I was smart enough to be a doctor um and the reason why I didn't think that was because um, last year I was happily diagnosed with um, ADHD. Now, mm-hmm. I say happily because all of my life there's been this that's been missing that I, di- that I couldn't understand. Like, why is it that I can excel in history or, or um, creative writing and things like that? But when it comes to math or when it comes to statistics or things like that, I, my brain is a dud, right? So, of mm-hmm. course, I said I was dumb and I thought all of these things. But getting that diagnosis, it really um, it really freed me up a lot. And that's why I'm so open and vocal about um, mental health. Um, one, mm-hmm. because I got, that, I got that example from a lot of my Black friends here, Black female friends here in Rochester. Um, but you never know who's going through what. And to be able to normalize it by speaking about it, um, you know, that I'm hoping that that may encourage someone else to say, you know what, that, that kind of sounds like me. Let me go and check in on that. Um, but yeah, so I, I just didn't think that there was a way for me to tie my passion for, yeah. uh, for moms and babies to a career that I felt comfortable doing. And so when Lauren told me what she did, I was like, great, sign me up. And, um, you know, long story short, I was their intern and um, Lauren and Sharita Bullock, who is now our Mm -hmm. executive director, 
um, you know, and Jolie Dennis, they were the three directors or the three um, women in leadership. After like about a month of just seeing me, you know, sort of do my thing, I was their social media intern. Mm-hmm. And they just little by little, like they would kind of pop into the intern office and say, so what's your degree in? You know, like, so what are you know, what, what are you interested in? And um, uh, the person that had my job before me, she was also like, you know, you are really like into this. <laughs> right. Like, you're really into this. A true like, passion. I'm true, into this, yeah. but like you're really into this. And um, <clears throat> you know, she let me know that she was um um you know looking to, you know, um just kind of grow and 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 move on to something different. And she was like, I think that you should I think that you should go for this. Like I'll put in a good word. And I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, like to have someone who I'm sort of working under to not only like encourage me to um, to pursue something in this field, but to say like, Hey, I'm on my way out. I'm going to go, you know, do something different, but please, you know, <laughs> please take this, you know, see if you can see if you can step in. And that was really, really um, encouraging to me. And I, I'll always like appreciate her for that. And I love that story, Nicole and Goldie, because it really, it really, so all of this, like this manifestation mm-hmm. of you getting your, you know, your, the position came from you following that advice to right. if um, I, yeah, network yeah. a little bit and sort of go outside yeah. of the, the, the normal standard yes. way of, of getting a job post, post-college. Right, right. Just, because I was hungry, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't have any, any strategy to eat. I didn't know. Right, you know? right. And I love that. So happy, yeah, and it just so happens that the the day that I officially got hired um, at uh, what's now called Healthy Baby Network, it was two days until my one year anniversary of being there. Mm-hmm. So I believe that I graduated May of um, May twenty twenty eighth, I believe, something like that. And I got the position at Healthy Baby Network the following year, May 26. So mm-hmm. I just celebrated my uh, fifth year there. So congratulations, that's Thank wonderful. You. I love Thank this. You. I love this. Yeah. Um, we're 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 this is this is such an empowering just story. Listening to your journey because I know that so many people and Black women listening to this can relate to a lot of your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, before we before we sort of dive into you know this work that you're doing at Healthy Baby Network and have been doing as a doula, et cetera, I'm gonna plug um, another black owned um, organization, the WXIR 100.9 Independent Radio, which is also a broadcaster of the More Than Isms show. Um, Pre COVID, um, I every Friday at 2 p.m did do a live show or did a live show um, at WXIR 100.9, um, but also had the podcast, which allows me a little bit more control over over who, who I have as a guest, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So since we've been in the, living in the COVID world, um, you, this show will also broadcast um, on WXIR 100.9, 
um, Extreme Independent Radio, which is a Black-owned radio station here in Rochester. Really happy. Um, Rashida Birch Washington um, is the station director, and um, Calvin, or Carvin, Carvin Eason is the general manager. Oh my manager gosh, that's Shadow. a name that sounds so, so similar to yours. I know, yes, oh we get it God. all the time. Carvin Eason. When you were about to um, say Calvin Eason. I was going to say my name, right? I was going to say my oh own my name. Oh my goodness. Um, so shout out to WXIR and yeah, please um, support awesome. um, independent, you know, community radio, which is a black owned station in Rochester. Can't can't promote that enough. So um, now that we've sort of gotten that, you know, gotten a really good um, foundation in Gozi, let's just sort of dive into your current work. So you, you've mentioned that you've always had an affinity for for the birthing process mm-hmm, and birth mm-hmm. and, and, and the whole process. Talk a little bit about your work as a doula. And also in addition to that is, is being a doula, if I'm even pronouncing it right, your primary work at Healthy Baby Network. And mm-hmm. um, if not, explain to listeners a little bit more for people who may not know what a doula is and, and the importance of Black doula specifically, because mm-hmm. this is something that I am just very recently learning and beginning to learn about doulas and it's it being a huge part of, of our history of America, black women um, being um, in, a, in the not so distant past. Um, they didn't have a choice in the, the in, in, you know, caring for, for not only black children, but white children as well. And there's this legacy of, you know, black women caretakers, um, that that has, I think, in many instances, been erased from our history that we don't talk about enough. And I think that so many in the Black community don't know enough about the importance of, of doulas. And so I know that you can speak a little bit more to this history than I can, for sure. Okay. Um, so firstly, yes, you are pronouncing it right pronouncing it right. It is doula. So um, I am not a doula like more than I am a health educator at Healthy Baby Network. Like mm-hmm. that's my that's my primary role. In fact, that's sort of my only role, but I'll explain right. what that means in a in a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I was fortunate enough to be a part of Healthy Baby Network's um uh Black Doula Collaborative um program or collaborative, which um really is about educating black women in our community to become doulas so that they can then offer doula services at an affordable or free, um, you know, uh, no cost to the parents um, in an effort to really not only, I'm sorry, did you say something? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I just moved. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I was able to be trained um, as a doula for free. Um, due to our Black Doula Collaborative, um, you know, training that we did. So it was me and about 14 other Black women. It was an amazing experience. Um, So the doula process is, I think it takes about maybe a year or so to really like fully complete um, your training. Uh, So your training has to do with, firstly, you have to have three, three births under your belt before you're uh, an official, official doula. And so I'm still what I like to call a baby doula. I have Mm -hmm. 
I have attended one birth. Oh my God. It's a, it's, it, I will never forget. I will never forget that experience. And I will be forever just eternally grateful to um, the woman who allowed me to take up such a intimate space at such an important part of her, of her life, you know, which is to be her doula, a black woman. Um, And that was on January 25th. And, you know, I was able to provide that emotional support for her and she delivered a healthy baby and it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, and, you know, I'm still trying to unpack that experience because, you know, to, to provide education. So, you know, what I do is I provide health education um, stemming around community health, perinatal health. Um, you know, uh, maternal uh, health, black maternal mortality, infant safe, infant health and safety, um, you know, oral health for, for infants, oral health for mothers during pregnancy, just a, just a, just a, an array of topics that have to do um, with, with moms, babies, and families, right? Um, recently, for the past two years, I've really started to focus on black maternal health and black maternal uh, mortality. Mm-hmm. And so I did a, um, a presentation at our annual conference. So we've typically had annual conferences every year in October. Um, and my topic was about really, um, how would I say, I don't remember the title right now, but it was just following the journey of um, black birth in America. And a lot of my, my, the research that I did was probably based on Harriet Washington's book. She's an alum of the University of Rochester, a black woman. Um, and she did a great body of research on, in her book called Medical Apartheid. If anyone wants to learn about uh, black uh, maternal history, the black female body, black, you know, black birth, and the medicalization of black birth, I would strongly recommend that be one of your first reads, mm-hmm. especially because it's coming from a Rochesterian, you know, a U of R. Amazing book. Um, so to be able to spend the last two years really focusing on the fact that Black women are dying mm-hmm. as a result of pregnancy and childbirth mm-hmm. and that it isn't because they are necessarily unhealthier than their white counterparts. It isn't because, you know, they aren't complying. It's, 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 you know, it's because they're not being listened to. They're not being listened to. And that sounds like a really sort of maybe far-fetched thing to say, especially for someone who doesn't know the history of black women and black men and black bodies in America. Um, but what that presentation that I did um, back in 2008, what that, I mean, excuse me, 2018, and it's it also based on a lot of the research from Dr. Joy Creer Perry, mm-hmm. that's um, J-O-I-A, last name C-R-E-A-R hyphen P-R-E-E-P-R-R-Y, um, and she came to that annual conference as well and spoke. So just really talking about the fact that Black women are dying preventable 
for, from pre- preventable um, issues because when they say something doesn't feel right, I'm in pain, you know, you need to check this, you need to check that, you know, when they're sent home, um, you know, postpartum and they, they have headaches or they're bleeding or whatever and they call their their providers and, and complain about these things, more often than not, it's and and to say that they're not listened to, that's one thing. But you know, our executive director Sharita Bullock, she she framed this in a way that really allowed me to better articulate what I'm saying, especially to people who have no idea about this topic. It's not that they that we're just not listened to, but there is no there's often not any action that is a result of what we say right and so again for the listeners if you want an example of that and please brace yourself because trigger warning all around we're talking Mm -hmm. about black women dying right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but look at the story of um oh my goodness all the people that are listening right now they know what name i'm trying to say (sighs) what is his name if it's well, as I, as I think as I as I tell his story briefly, mm-hmm. um, his name will pop up to me. So um, his wife was completely, totally healthy. Um, she had a son prior to uh, her last pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, after she gave birth to her second son, um, she was she needed medical attention and her husband was there. And he was telling, he noticed something in her catheter that her catheter was light pink and it was supposed to be, um, it was supposed to be clear. And so he told the doctors, you know, they went to the best hospital because they, you know, they had those resources as a black successful couple. Um, They went to the best hospital, you know, and they, and he said, listen, there's something not right. Her catheter is, is, you know, it has pink liquid, you know, can we, or, you know, can you do something about this. And um, I'm really not doing the story justice. Is, it, is, is the name Carl of the- Johnson. I yeah, got it. Charles, Charles Johnson, Johnson and Kira Johnson. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Please look up that story. I was fortunate enough to hear Charles Johnson speak in person in Tulsa, Oklahoma um, last year, I believe. Um, and it, I mean, his story, hearing him talk about his wife and, and show us videos and, and pictures of her and to, to really just talk about how on mm-hmm. just, 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 it, it didn't have to happen, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, and I, and it, and it wouldn't have happened, you know, it probably wouldn't have happened if she was white, right? That's just right. the reality and, of it. Right, right. You know, and, um, <clears throat> You know, I, there's there's so much that I that I can say about this. Really, don't want to veer too much off um, of topic because I know that we only have a little a limited amount of time. Your question really mm-hmm. was about doulas, so you said to explain to the audience why doulas are important. So mm-hmm. here, if if I were to sum this up and make this very plain and simple, and you know, with the with the understanding and the trust that the audience would go ahead and you know do their research after, if there's anything that I say that they you know, may not understand, please feel free to email me at ngozi at healthy-baby.net if you have any questions. Um, but Black women are not 
listen to. Uh, Black people historically in this country, you know, in, in the medical journals that date back to the 1800s, it's still there. Anyone can look it up. They essentially say, not essentially, they say Black people don't feel pain. Or if they do, it's not to the same level of, of, of you know, it's not the same strength as white people, right? Um, this, is, this, is, this is literally what has been taught, you know, in, in, in the medicalization of birth and in, in just um, medicine in general, Right. Mm -hmm. So when you have women like Anarka, who was a 17 year old enslaved uh, woman back in in the in the 1830s, who had just delivered her second baby and uh, developed a vaginal and anal fistula, which means that, you know, this normally happens to young girls who give birth, you know, before their time, they're young girls. So their pelvic area has not developed to be able to carry and deliver a baby and so they develop um either a vaginal or anal fissure fissure um and so this doctor dr james marion sims who is you know who is noted as, as being the father of gynecology he was um you know sent to that plantation to fix her right and not to fix her because she was a, a human being a woman who had given birth and is going through just the worst possible thing that you can having uh, anal and vaginal fistula, but because she was property, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and by the 1830s, they had abolished, <clears throat> um, you know, stealing Africans from Africa and bringing them over. So instead of black bodies being brought as being the 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 the, the primary capital and the most important thing, now it's black women creating more black bodies. That's the most important thing. Right. So if you can't function in that way, then it's it's imperative that you be fixed, not because of your humanity, but because you're a product that I need to continue to make more products. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Dr. James Marion Sims violated her body through through these series of just gruesome, savage, barbaric, barbaric experiments without without um, any sort of pain medication, any sort of anything, and had doctors, fellow doctors holding her and about, I think, 11 other women down as they, as he operated, quote unquote, on her. Mm-hmm. You understand? And so after a time, the other doctors were like, all right, this is, this is, this is too much, even for us. We're out of here. And you would think that he would stop. No, he had those other women take turns holding each other down as he tried to figure out a way to to remedy uh, the vaginal and anal fistula, right? Mm -hmm. And so he he was able to do that, right? From violating Black women, Black bodies, Right. And so how do you justify that? Well, they're not they're not really human. They're not, you know, derived from the same um, ancestors that we have. They can't feel pain. They're animals and so on and so forth. But the other part is, you know, as you begin, you know, listeners to do your own research and study um, gynecology, study how black bodies have impacted and and and. 
I would say grown for lack of a better word, um, different, different forms of medicine and different other things. We were always the Guinea pigs. Mm -hmm. So once he figured out a cure for, for, um, fistulas, he was then able to market that and sell that and become, and become a very uh, successful and prominent doctor because the, 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 what's the one similarity, the one similarity between black women and white women, right? What's the one similarity? They're human beings. So that means that they suffer from the same things, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if, if black women can have uh, vaginal anal so can white women. And so black women's bodies were used to find cures and find better ways to, um, to deal with and address and remedy normal human, uh, um, you know, things that happen in pregnancy and childbirth and, in you know, gynecology and white women were able to benefit from that. Right. You know? And so, when we when we fast forward right because everything is connected from from 1619 until 2020 you know and when i do that presentation um i i decided to draw the um the outline of or the profile of a pregnant a pregnant female body or a pregnant body um and along that outline was 1619 to the present and we go through 1619, we go through, um, you know, the 1830s, we go through the 1900s, and we see how Black bodies, um, how their value changed, and how um, the relationship between, um, especially talking about medicine and, 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 and childbirth, how that changed over time. Right. So, you know, on the one hand, when we first started, it was, you know, we you know, black men and, and black women having them, you know, this was property, this was capital. Then when they stopped, um, when they abolished the, 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 the slave trade, then it became black women who can give birth to, you know, 13 children, you know, they were the most valuable, right? Mm-hmm. I believe that it was um, Thomas Jefferson that said, you know, paraphrasing that he considers uh, 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 basically a black woman who can give birth to uh, 13 children more valuable than the strongest man, black man on right. the, on the field. Right. Right. So that's a big shift from 1619 where they're, they're, they're marketing in the newspaper. Hey, we got this big, strong black, you know, man. And da, 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 da. now it's like, okay, we can't, that's not important now. Now yeah. we need women. They're, they're, they're the most important thing. And so to go from that, and we're now we're down to the 1970s and the 1980s. And now black women who are giving birth to children, not just, you know, 10 and 13 children, but one or two. Now, what what is that? Oh, right. Since they're a nuisance. This right? is this We've is got so to t- figure out how to get them to stop having these babies. They're draining the, 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 the government. They're draining our resources. Right. You know, and, and this is the same for native women, indigenous women and uh, Hispanic women. You know, when we talk about birth control and things like that, women of color have always been the guinea pigs for those things. And once, mm-hmm. you know, they were able to, doctors were able to, you know, um, revise and, 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 and get these, these different um, things to work with, with minimal risk, that's when it became marketed to white women. 
You understand? And this is not Absolutely. to say, and this is not to say that you know that white women are complicit or anything like that. I mean, we all, all women benefit from from the advancements of gynecology, right? But we've got to understand how that started right. so that we can understand the disparities and why they're happening. Mm-hmm. So instead of going and blaming Black women and saying, well, they're unhealthy or they don't have good insurance or they don't have husbands to advocate for themselves or they're not educated. Come on, that's not true, right? Absolutely. And, and I think that th- there, there are people out there who will make those assumptions thinking that, you know, that makes sense, right? But it doesn't. Not only does it not make sense, but it's so harmful. And what you're perpetuating isn't just ignorance, but it's it's the it's death. It's death right. because you don't know why this is happening. You know, it's 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 it means death for us, right? And so when you have um, the 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 data that says that a black woman who is educated, who is, is married, who is healthy, who is living in a healthy home, you know, who's living a full, a full well-rounded life and decides to create a family, right? Her birth outcome is far worse than a white woman, a, a white woman living in rural America without a high school diploma. Right. Yeah. Right. And so what that means is what that means is it has nothing to do with education, with with social support, with with uh, health insurance, with with, you know, with with health. It's none of that. What it is, is racism. Mm -hmm. Racism is making black women sick. This is this is this is science. This is scientific fact. Racism Mm -hmm. is making black women sick. And then systemic racism from the outside is 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 killing us. Right. Right. So our babies are not they they're born too they're born too early and they weigh too little because of the stress that you know what and and again when we talk about similarities, right? So what's what's the one thing that uh, a highly educated um, um, wealthy black woman living in America, married, all of that. A uh, woman, a black woman in America who is living, um, you know, in poverty or living um, economically disadvantaged, however you want to call it, and an African woman who is who you know who who immigrated here from Africa, um, and she is now pregnant. All three of them are pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. So this, the African woman, the, let's say she's from West Africa, she immigrated here, um, lived here for about five years, and now she, you know, she's pregnant. All three of these women are pregnant. All three of these black women are pregnant. They are going to have the same, the same risk of dying. Their babies are going to have the same risk of dying prematurely. Infant mortality, the death of a child, an infant before the age of one, Right. Why? Because what that rich black woman and the black woman who is poor and the black woman who has come from Africa, mind you, in Africa, their 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 maternal um, in parts of Africa, their maternal mortality rates and infant mortality rates are better than ours here in Rochester, right? Here in America, right? So what is the difference when they come here? Because when they were um, 
researching this, they said, well, maybe, right, when they're researching, why are Black women dying? Why are Black babies dying? Maybe it has something to do with genetics, right? So they went ahead and they, they tested that. And what they saw was, okay, women in Africa have better birth outcomes than Black women here, but when they move here, right. their outcomes match. And it's because of the toxic stress of racism, right? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter how much money you have, right? Where you work, you're working with people, right? Who either either voluntarily or involuntarily are going to, um, you know, you're going to experience microaggressions, right? You're going to experience overt racism. You're going to experience, um, you know, systemic racism. You're going to experience not being able to advance maybe the way that you should because of your skin color. Not only that, not only putting it, you know, in terms of work, but when a black woman and a black American woman who is affluent, a black woman who is not, and a woman who is, you know, from Africa go into a store, (laughs) ain't no difference. Ain't no difference, right? right? So all of those things, the, the many different ways that racism shows up for us, we all have to deal with it. And stress is a very real thing that creates dis-ease, creates disturbances, creates stress for us and stress for our babies. Mm-hmm. So our babies are saying, listen, there's something going on and I got to head out, Right. Right. You, they're heading out at six months, seven months. They haven't had time to grow. They haven't had time for their lungs to develop. They haven't had time for, you know, for their, their bodies to gain the, the, the adequate amount of weight. Right. And so yeah. when we talk about doulas, right. So because the history says that from the beginning of us being here until today, we are not listened to. We are seen, um, institutionally as people who do not feel pain as people who you know um institutionally not talking about every every single doctor every single medical professional right just the way that information has been passed on to this day black women are not listened to and so when you have cultural parity right? When you have a fellow black woman, a fellow black person, they're with you and their sole objective is to advocate for you, right? And their sole objective is to create emotional support for you and to ask you, what kind of birth do you want? What is the kind of birth that's going to make you look back and say, yes, this, you know, this is what I wanted, right? To have someone there that's dedicated to do that. Oh, that, that changes things. That, that, that completely changes things. I believe that it's in Texas um, or some other place. I'll, I'll email you this information in case like you want to um, put it on your website or if listeners have any questions, but I'll, I'll email the, um, the links to what I'm talking about. But there is, a, I believe it's a birthing center in, in maybe it was Atlanta or someplace where every black woman is provided with a doula even in Brooklyn, um, look up ancient song, right? When black women are prioritized and when we have cultural parity and when we have other black women, doulas, black birth workers, black midwives, you know, just not, it doesn't necessarily have to be that, 
you know, it's an all black hospital or excuse me, or an all black birthing center, but to have black people there that understand that overstand, right. And that believe you and that is there to advocate, to help you realize that you have the right to advocate for yourself in addition to your partners, in addition to your midwives and your, your birth people and, you know, black or white, Mm -hmm. but to have that added layer of protection, we need that. And we've seen, we've seen in these, in these different areas, how that benefits um, black women and more research needs to be done and more money needs to be put into, um, really supporting this but this is why i'm so proud to work at healthy baby network and this is why i'm so proud to do what i do and the last thing that i'll say because i see that i've I've gone over but i really wanted to go back and link Mm -hmm. what i said earlier with what i'm saying now right so what i said earlier was having the opportunity to excuse me to uh practice if you will as a doula i'm able to see in real time the things that I'm talking about in my education, in my presentation, right? So because of something that I said, because of the relationship that I had with this black woman, you know, for her to trust me, excuse me, I need to take a sip. For her to trust me to say, I want you to be there. And with my first dual experience, it was just me and her. Yeah. And I and that was her choice. That was her choice, right? And it wasn't because she didn't have support. She had support. She had her mom. She had, you know, but she, she I, you know, she just said, I want, I don't, I just want it to be as, <clears throat> excuse me, as limits. I just want it to be me and my, and a doula. And, you know, for her to, to understand that she had the right to say, because that's what, that's what you really, that's the, that's the main thing that you, um, are there to really encourage your moms to understand <clears throat> whatever it is that you want to do, you have the right to do it. And as a person who is who is creating life, you listen, if mama's going to be mad, if your husband's going to be mad that they're not in the room with you, listen, they'll get over it. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what you want. And so to be able to have her, you know, to drive her to the hospital and to, to have her be vulnerable and to have her say, you know, I'm nervous, I'm scared, I'm this, I'm that. And to be calm and to watch her water break and to go with her into the hospital and to speak on her behalf during moments where she was having contractions and to have her say, you know, now is the time, right? And I put my hand on her stomach and I looked over at the front desk and she was wonderful. And we kind of did this um, look because the, the, the nurse, she had, she had been around for about 30 years. So she, mm-hmm. you know, she, she, she'd been around the block. But, you know, while my mom is there and she's bent over in pain and I touch her stomach and something about the way that her stomach felt, I knew that baby was coming. And I looked at the nurse and I said, listen, it's coming. And right from, and then as soon as that happened, they brought her into the room and, you know, it was just, I don't even know if I'm making sense because when I talk about this, I just, 
I, I become so over overwhelmed with emotions. Like every single thing that happened from the moment that she met me to the moment that she gave birth was one because I was a black woman. She was a black woman. We bonded and she was able to, you know, feel supported, right? So, you know, things are going to happen. Not everyone is going to have the perfect birth. And I was, I was fortunate and she was fortunate to have this experience go out, go off without a hitch, right? But it doesn't matter what happens. To have that support, to know that someone has your back at, at, at a time where, you know, you can't speak or you, you're nervous or you feel intimidated by the authority of doctor or the, the authority of a nurse or whatever, you know, this is a time where you, you're, you're getting ready to deliver a baby. You can't, you can't think, you know, right, right away. You know, you need somebody to say, Hey, listen, you don't have to answer that right now. Right. Let's focus on your breathing. Mm-hmm. You understand? Like just to be able to take that, that level of extra pressure away and say, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. This is about you. And this is about baby. I love this angle. This, this is wonderful. Where can people, um, you know, learn more about your work, the Healthy Baby Network, um, and just, you know, get connected with the Healthy Baby Network in general? Yeah, absolutely. So um, to learn more about our doula, our Black Doula Collaborative, um, mm-hmm. Paula Nisbeth, her last name is N as in Nancy, I, S as in Sam, B as in Barbara, E as in Eric. T as in Tom, H as in home. I don't know like the the proper, you know, connection with the letters, but hopefully Mm -hmm. that was clear. She's our doula coordinator. She's wonderful, wonderful, Um, wonderful woman. Um, She heads the the Black Doula Collaborative. She's also a nurse. And right now, like I said, we have about 14 women who are still going through the program. We have um, women who have already attended births. Um, And... um, you know, if anyone is interested in wanting to become a doula and finding out more about the Black Doula Collaborative and finding out more about what we are doing to, um, to, to support Black women, Black parents in the community, you can go to www.healthy-baby.net. That's healthy-baby.net. You can just browse around our website. It's very uh, beautifully displayed is very straightforward mm-hmm. pretty much everything that i talked about and more is on that website we also just um 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 started our fatherhood program that started i believe in um october of last year with Ramon <laughs> alexander being our fatherhood coordinator mm-hmm. uh, he's wonderful we've got aubrey um sheffield who is our uh fatherhood chw which means community health worker and so as a team, they they already have dads who they're training through um, the fatherhood curriculum. And the point is really, you know, we, when we started off, we were focused on, on moms and babies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but as our work continues to evolve, now we're focused on families, on parents, right? And really dealing with and addressing um, the real life issues that, that, that parents in our community are going through. And not, none of this is happening without the parents' perspective, without mom's perspective, without dad's perspective, you know, looking at the ideas that we have and saying, oh, I, don't, 
no, no, you know, or oh, you could tweak it this way. So it's very much a community um, uh, collaborative um, agency that we have. I'm very proud of it. Um, so please go to the website. You can, again, email me. My name is Ngozi, N-G-O-Z-I, um, at healthy-baby.net. Everyone has the same email. So once you know their first name, you can just put at healthy-baby.net. Feel free to email me. Feel free to call me. We are, we've, we've been um, in operation during COVID. Um, mm-hmm. For most of the time, we uh, all worked from home. Now we've sort of phased into working um, in shifts at the office uh, about uh, four, about three, each of us do like three, does like three days a week for about four hours. Um, but, you know, in spite of that, we are still active. We still have our amazing outreach team, Vanessa Santiago, who is our bilingual uh, Spanish-speaking outreach worker. We've got uh, Devon Medlock, who is our other outreach worker. Um, and they're out there, you know, during corona being safe, but also still trying to engage um, pregnant women to say, hey, mm-hmm. do you need help? Do you need diapers? Do you need formula? Do you need any sort of connection Um especially if it's COVID related, what can we do to to support you? And so it's been challenging um, to, you know, to not only support the community, but this is something that has effect is affecting all of us. So, you know, it's been really challenging to find ways to encourage and support yourself while also doing your work. Um, But again, like I said, I'm grateful for the team that we have really prioritize checking in with each other how are you doing you know we've always done that during you know with our staff meetings and just making sure that everyone is okay you know um we really get uh, attached to our families we get attached to um the work that we're doing and naturally like it kind of never turns off Mm -hmm. you know like I'm always I'm always thinking about you know, how I can make my education sessions better, how I can, you know, what I, what, what I can add, even when I'm on Instagram or just doing something sort of mind numbing, I'll see something or I'll hear something and I'll go, Ooh, that's a really great quote. You know, Mm -hmm. um, with me, I, uh, I do, I deliver free, uh, health education to, to families, to, uh, providers. Um, I also do trainings, um, for agencies and um, and I've done that in the past as well. So if anyone wants to find out more, wants to get educated, um, has has their team. If you have a team of nurses or a team of childcare workers or whoever that you feel like would really benefit from learning more about moms and dads and babies and just history and and whatever else, we can have a conversation and um, talk about how to, you know, curate that to, um, to your team. And of course, you know, virtual options are definitely, (laughs) I mean, that's, that's what's happening these days. So, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, we've adjusted to that. But yeah, you know, just, just, you know, look at our website, find out, you know, whatever you're interested in, and just reach out to, to any of us, we're here to answer any questions. You know, if you'd like to donate to support us, like you can also do that as well. But I think the number one thing that I would like to encourage listeners to do is to, you know, always, you know, continue to educate yourself. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that this community is really big on that, you know, especially with your um, 
your organization, you know, uh, focusing on education. I think that's really important. And so always be a skeptic, a skeptic. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, we're all in this together and this is really, you know, there's an asterisk there, right? So this is, is, you know, black, black maternal mortality. This is, uh, infant, uh, mortality. This is, um, what's going on with, with, with Black Lives Matter, with civil rights, with, you know, we're with COVID, with the environment, you know, politically we're all in this together so absolutely i just want people to kind of just kind of slow down you know Mm -hmm. just really think about what is it what is it that you're passionate about what is it that you feel strongly about and do you know enough about that and if you don't educate yourself or find ways to get you know more information because you know you may be thinking that your good intention is enough to share your opinion or to, you know, um, vote or to, to, to be a decision maker in something. But again, like, like I said earlier, sometimes with, when you don't know enough, you could be, um, you could be participating in someone's death and not even know it. Like, it's that serious. Mm -hmm. It's that serious, you know? So, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Angola. This has been so wonderful having you on the pod. And, oh, thank you. Um, your Paolo. passion is is really palpable, and we are we're so thankful for your work and your energy and your your education. And we look forward to um, continuing to follow your work. And um, you know, really just happy that you are a black woman who is rocking here in Rochester. Hey, hey. Yes, and thank you so much um, for the opportunity to be. Um, acknowledge, and I also want to say, you know, to be in 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 a in a in a lineup of such amazing women. I was reading mm-hmm. about Dr. McIntosh and mm-hmm. her work. You know, it's just, oh, it's so humbling to to even be mentioned with um, such dynamic women. But I just appreciate the platform, and um, I appreciate um, you know just just encouraging other women, other people to understand and to see that Black women are out here and we've been out here but Mm -hmm. we really care about our community and um yeah so well we care about you and (laughs) so many other black women and we want to continue to stand with you and and work with you um absolutely so so thank you so much we hope that you 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 get some continue to take care of yourself and your space thank you yes um you do sound better so that's good Yes. That's um, good. So we are going to sign off and until next time. Thank you. Thank you, Calvin. Okay, have a great night. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And there you have it. My interview with Ngozi Udo, who is also one of our Black Women Rock finalists for 2020. We're so thankful to have been able to have a conversation with Ngozi to talk about her career and her work and everything that she's doing in the world of educating about maternal health, Black maternal health and, and infant mortality. It's so important that we educate ourselves on this issue because we know that there is a, a, a Black women mortality maternal um, crisis here in the United States. So to learn more about Ngozi and her work, 
you can visit our Facebook platforms, Facebook, um, facebook.com slash 540westmain, Instagram, and our website, 540westmain.org. You can also go to her website directly, healthy-baby.net, which is a Rochester-based nonprofit organization committed to supporting um, maternal and, and family health, um, especially for Black people and people of color. So again, www.healthy-baby.net to learn more about Ngozi and her work. Thank you so much for listening, and we can't wait to come back to you with another episode of More Than Isms podcast. Again, be sure to listen to this episode and other episodes also on WXIR 100.9 Extreme Independent Radio on 109WXIR.com is that website. You can listen to this show live every Friday at 2 p.m. or as a podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Thanks so much. This is your host, Calvin, signing out. Bye.